0: Hey up, and welcome to the Temple of Blair. This is a conversation with another northerner, which is a very special kind of person to talk to. Uh, his name is Mark G with a C. Now, Mark's YouTube channel is dedicated to his collection of uh, thrash and death metal, which he has been amassing over the last 30 years. So I wanted to get in touch with Mark because, first and foremost, I'm a fan of his channel. I like listening to, listening to him talk through his collection um, and how he came about it, what it's like, et etc., etc. Et but more importantly to me, he was around on the onset of thrash and death metal in the UK. He has a consumer relationship with that kind of music. And if you listen to the podcast, you'll understand that I have kind of a blind spot in terms of Roadrunner's relationship with death metal, trying to understand the causality and finding patterns where there are none as to how Roadrunner got on board with death metal and things like that. So I wanted... I wanted Mark's input, basically. And I think I got it in fucking Spade. It's a really good conversation. Towards the start, we refer to Mark's band. He used to be signed to Century Media with his band Enchantment. Uh, I mention that now because when I mention it in the podcast, I don't mention it by name. So there it is, it's Enchantment. So there you have it. Uh, Mark G with a C, Death Metal, Thrash Metal. Plug in those knowledge gaps. One, two, fuck shit up. It's Inside 87 in the Monty years. In the death metal years. This is where my knowledge starts falling apart because I don't know much about. I have like a surface level knowledge of death metal, right? But and I kind of, I tried speaking to Tom Morris from Morrisound. I said I tried. I did successfully, but he was really modest and nice. So when you ask questions like, "Are you the was Morrisound the only place that gave a shit about death metal at the time?" They'd be like, "Oh, well, you know." <laughs> <laughs> the one, the <clears throat> Yeah, it was it was all us or anything like that. So I, I thought I'd reach out because I, I watch your channel anyway, and it, it's. I thought if we could have a meander through your your academic, um, yeah, um, exp- I, I don't want to big you up too much and say expertise, but your your sort of wheelhouse and your territory. I thought yeah. I might learn a bit more, and that might start me on some other little rabbit holes.
1: Yeah, no, I'm I'm certainly no um, expert on it, or you know, comprehensive in my knowledge, but, um, I. I was lucky enough to sort of grow up and be around for the birth of, of death metal, if you will, mm. the degree. So yeah, I've, I've got some, um, some nice recollections of, um, of fun times discovering, um, you know, going from thrash metal into death metal. Yeah. Um, and the labels that were big around that time, you know? Yeah. You were signed so, uh, yeah, to,
0: I... to Century Media right? you, with, um, with your band.
1: We were yes, quite right. We were yeah. It was um, one of the big labels at the time, mm. um, and we'd we'd done a demo um, and only played local. I mean, we were lucky um, that we got friends with a, a two guys um, who ran like a little. Um, we didn't really know much about it at the time, but it ter- you know, it turns out when you look back at history, they were like a booking agent called the mm. Syndicate, and they used to put on a lot of overseas bands so they were responsible for for bringing over autopsy obituary morbid angel pestilence loads of bands so we got we got in with them and and got friendly with them um and they got us some nice support slots we supported bolt thrower we supported um cancer and cerebral fix in bradford (laughs) Uh, we played with anathema a few times cradle of filth Mm. um so we 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 kind of treaded in bigger footsteps than we had, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um and we'd only re- released fifty uh, fifty demos, we made them ourselves. Um and one of them managed to get himself to, to this guy, um Robert Muller, who worked for Century Media. Mm. And he was all he was all over it. He he couldn't get enough of it and he came over to see us and he was desperate for us to to be signed uh, to them, which, looking back, I think at that time, Paradise Lost were massive. You know, My Dying Bride were coming through. You could see they were going to be a big band. Mm -hmm. Anathema was still a death doom band at that time, and they were all signed to Peaceville. And I think Century Media saw that. There There was ourselves in a band called Decomposed from London, And I think Central Media saw something in us and thought, we want a piece of that, you know. But unfortunately for us, they were... They had bands like Morgoth on their books. Um, Demolition Hammer, Tiamat, you know, some big bands. So we really didn't get the, the sort of help and attention that we probably would have needed. Right. You know, I mean... Morgoth were already a big band by that point. They'd already put out Cursed and Tiamat were at a stage where they were putting out live albums, you know, so they were well established on that Mm -hmm. label. Um, So, yeah, we just didn't quite get the help. And, you know, being youthful and naive and um, these things, we never never sort of carried on from that emphasis from the first album. Yeah. Um, But you'll be pleased to know that the second album, um, 26 years later <laughs> is um, is well in the works we are we are up to a point now we've only got the guitars pretty much the guitars to record Oh, nice and a few uh, a few piano bits um, All hard recorded yeah th- everything's down the, the drums are down bass is down um, little acoustic guitars vocals Where you, we've yeah we've got the artwork organized we we're, we're, we're doing good Yeah. Um, So, you know, it's quite exciting really It's been different because of the whole lockdown process And when we did the first album And we were in chant, we we rehearsed two, three times a week Mm -hmm. And we jammed and all that This has been um, learning everything And writing everything down on tablature And learning it Mm -hmm. individually in our own houses Yeah, Yeah, we know, we're, we're all approaching 50 years old It's a little bit different, you know Commitment-wise, um, interesting.
0: I, could, I speak to a lot of these, a lot of old roadrunner bands who are still bands now. Um, and one of the things I always ask is, are you, how do you take to the whole like Zoom thing? Like, you can't do a band practice on Zoom, but you can like send each other recordings, and you can be kind of productive in that sense. And most of them are like, nah, fuck that. I need to be in the, I need to be in the room with the lads. Yeah, you know?
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, we stay in touch through Zoom uh once a week, you know, but the other guitarist he lives down other side of London. Um yeah. I live on the Wirral now. Um and the other two guys are still in Blackpool. Right. So again with the whole COVID thing, it's been impossible to, to get together. We're quite lucky because this album is it's like a time capsule. It was you know probably 80%, 85% of it was written mm-hmm. back in ninety-five. Right and we've wow. we've just been going through old recordings and you know learning those bits there's only one new song on this album mm. you know um and we've we've been piecing together riffs that we wrote back then so it hasn't been like we've needed to to get together in a in a rehearsal space and jam some music out it was already there we yeah, just yeah. had to we just had to learn it again and and Decide if we'd arranged it correctly. We were happy to, you know, so we've, we've changed a few little arrangements here, but like I say, 85% of the, the riffs mm-hmm. uh, and the, all the vocals, all the lyrics were already written. Paul had yeah. written them back in 95, so. Is it the original lineup? It is, except for the drummer, yeah. The um, the original drummer, he was on board in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, so once we started recording to a demo stage, he was there, but he he, he couldn't commit to, to any more. And unfortunately, he backed out.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And we have some friends who play in a band, um, and their drum is very good. So we asked him if he fancied um, a bit of session work for us. And he listened to the songs, and he went, yeah, I'm all over that. So mm. um, we gave him the music, and he had it for a few months, and he played with it, and he, he put all the drums down, and we're, we're made up with them, to be honest. Mm. Yeah. Really good. Really good. So, yeah, we're quite excited about it.
0: Awesome. Well, all all comes into fruition and then everything moves on but there's something you touched on which i found quite interesting it kind of segues nicely into the roadrunner stuff which is um century media wanting a certain sound and sort of trying to cherry pick a certain sound which i relate to because it's a halifax sound and i used to live in halifax so my dying Brian paradise lost that's all quite close to home literally absolutely but there's that kind of dynamic that's the kind of stuff i like to try and extrapolate in the roadrunner context like sort of figure out was it reactionary? Was it proactive? I don't think it's a word, proactive, but I'm going to invent it. Fuck it. Was it <laughs> reactive or pro- proactive for Monty to go, all right, there's these dirty, dirty raw bands and it's all emerging from Florida and there's this thing happening and this is what I'm going to get in on. I'm just trying to understand what, like, oh, there's the, I know those bands ended up on Roadrunner for the most part. Um, what was it? Obituary, side? Um, uh, <clears throat> suffocation, if you want to call it, I don't, not necessarily Florida death metal. I know Cannibal Corpse is on Metal Blade. Morbid Leveling angel.
1: creation, they Leveling were roadrunner
0: pestilence, um, a few and plen- plenty of others. In fact, Cerebral Fix is one as well. Um, yeah. morbid Angel with Earache. But I'm trying to, I'm trying to understand if there's any causality to it. I guess, but I guess I, I will open up with like. And yeah, I want to talk about your channel for a bit. Actually, I've, I've jumped too far ahead. So you've got quite a sizable collection of CDs, and you tend to showcase those on your channel. Is that the objective of the channel? Just to sort of like categorise, organise, talk through? Is it? Is it meant to be like a live, a live sort of cataloguing session?
1: I, th- I think my my aim with it was I was watching other people, other people talking about music and, and their collections, and I, and I was again the age I am, and you know, family and work. I, I don't get to meet up with my friends like I used to and talk mm. about music. And I've only got one the 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 um, singer out of Enchantment. Paul, he's a collector as well, and the bass player to a certain degree, but not not so that sort of, sort of um, level that like I am. Mm. Um, and I'm, I, you know, I, I started sort of buying music CDs al- well, albums and cassettes originally back in the the late. Um, sort of 80s, mid 80s to late 80s. And I never kind of stopped. And I had little periods where I slowed down. But um, I was watching these other people and I was hearing them talk about music. And I just thought, there's a lot of these people they are my type of person. Mm. You know, I, they're the type of person that I'd like to get to know. And these channels, they weren't they weren't serious. There wasn't loads of editing. or It was just like a, a bloke sat in his room talking. Yeah. And I thought, I've got a 30-year collection sat in my room. It's great and I love it, don't get me wrong. <clears throat> and it's my go-to where it's my like my safe zone. You know, yeah. I put my music on. And I I just sort of thought to myself, is is should it just be in my room for me? Do you know there's people <laughs> out there that might be interested in hearing my story and my sort of journey yeah. from being a teenager to a a 48-year-old bloke who still listens to heavy metal. You know, when you're told you're 18, you'll grow out of it, son. You know, I'm sure we all did that. So Mm -hmm. I just felt like I wanted to share it with other people. And I didn't know what kind of response I would get, whether people would enjoy it, whether people would take to me. Mm -hmm. I wasn't sure if me showing records that are original presses and worth hundreds of pounds, if I was going to... Joe, would people be jealous and think, oh, what a, you know, what a show off he is? I kind of wasn't sure, but I just thought, you know, I, I'll give it a go, and I sort of plucked up the courage to do it, and it, it's quite nerve-wracking in the beginning, mm-hmm. because you don't want to come across like an idiot, and you want, you know, everyone wants people to, you want people to like you, don't you? Mm. Um, and pretty much straight away, I got talking um, in the comment section with, with the people that I had been watching their videos so i kind of instantly started to make this friendship with these people who i thought i could be friends with them yeah um and i have just met some some brilliant people from doing it and if that's all that i ever get out of it that that's more than enough for me i've made some friendships and 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 to the level where we talk on a a personal level on messenger and WhatsApp and, and things like that you know it's kind of Uh, transcended youtube that's good Um, but yeah that that was basically just just wanting to 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 share my collection and my thoughts and little stories i've got and you know um hopefully people people like it and they're interested yeah that's awesome man because the, the channel itself is is well paced it's
0: articulate and it's it's clearly done with some by someone with the passion to Extrapolate on that particular content and that particular product and things like, and it's just it's fun to watch. It's for for me, I I I love it. Just like having it on in the background while I'm either playing with the kids or something like that. (laughs) But it's not like offensive, you know. There's not there's usually some
1: music in the background and you're talking over stuff and it's it's, yeah,
0: it's very easily digestible. In that, I try.
1: (laughs) I definitely. I try. I do swear on it occasionally. I try not to do that, you know, because my my little boy he's only five, um, so. It, he's kind of watching it a little bit, um, so I do try to. Uh...
0: Now let let's plug this knowledge gap. So in in terms of like, I want you to pull me into your world a bit. And let's just keep it totally informal. And if we if I have to sit here and, and research something on Discogs, I'm, to, I'm 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 here for it. This is this is just like let's just get out into the weeds. So in terms of death metal itself, obviously you're saying you started collecting sort of early mid '80s. So what yeah, was that about death metal which resonated
1: with you? I think um, Master of Puppets by Metallica was, it was a massive, massive album for me. It mm-hmm. was, I was listening to rock music, heavy metal music, and I was never drawn towards so much the lyrics mm-hmm. and the vocals. I, I was all about the guitar. I wanted to hear a riff. I wanted to hear a lick. I wanted to hear the solo so I was drawn to that and I heard Master of Puppets and it was it didn't matter what James Etfield was singing or how he sounded it was the riffs you know the thing that should not be Damage yeah. Incorporated it was like th- th- that was the song it wasn't about what they were singing about there was no chorus it was just the riff <laughs> so it was like a revelation to me mm-hmm. to hear those those chugging riffs. And I knew I wanted more. I needed more. I needed more riff-based, music-based. Right,
0: okay, interesting.
1: Yeah, so when then I... I think pretty much the first sort of death metal album that I heard and really resonated with me was Leprosy by Death. Mm-hmm. And... You know, looking back now, I understand why, because the riffs, they had that sort of th- that thrashy technicality to them, mm-hmm. you know, and Chuck's voice, when I first heard it, I, I was like, wow, what the fuck is that? This screaming at, that was like quite intense for me. But yeah. It, it didn't take over the music. It was kind of like another instrument in yeah. the music. And, yeah, pull the plug uh, and, and just that. Dun, 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 uh, that riff, I was just like, oh, my God, this is. <laughs> now, you know, at the time, I didn't realise pretty much, you know, Leprosy was only Death's second album. It was mm. the very sort of beginning of, of Death Metal. But I was hungry for more, right? Yeah. Who else is there? So I'm looking, this band is from Florida. Is there any more bands from Florida? And, you know, heard about Cannibal Corpse. And and it, it was just, it was a snowball effect then, mm-hmm. you know. But what was important back then was record labels were important. So if I saw, you know, Leprosy was on Under One Flag, then the next thing's cannibal corpse, it's on metal blade. You, you were as much aware of the labels as you were the bands. Yeah. Because you're thinking if these labels are putting out these bands, they, they know what's going on. They they understand that it was earache. It
0: feels it like was, it's by design, doesn't it? It's, not, it's what, sorry. It feels like it's by design, then. Yeah. It feels like it's oh, this isn't a fluke. There must be like absolutely, this liver has a absolutely
1: yeah. absolutely and it was hard you know you you were relying on on the music magazines and um word of mouth and this was before i'd i'd sort of heard about the tape trading scene yeah. um and, and i was lucky enough one of my friends was a big part of the, the tape trading scene in the uk and um it was involved in in you know tape trading with mayhem and emperor and and <laughs> carnage before yeah carnage and nihilist before they became entombed you know but yeah. that 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 was something i only discovered after discovering death metal you know mm. it was kind of like it led me to to on this amazing journey uh a labyrinth of of bands and music and labels that you know i suppose metallica megadeth they they were mainstream everyone had kind of heard of them because they were they were kicking up dust and, and making a bit of a the whole scene for themselves, weren't they? The Bay Area thrash, mm-hmm. but yeah, I needed more than that. It was, I needed it to be heavier and heavier and heavier. Um, and I, I remember there's a BBC documentary on, um, and it was talking about heavy metal, and Napalm Death were on. Um, and it, I think it was them live on stage, and I think it was, uh, oh, I can't remember what song it was, It might have been siege or uh, i can't think what it was now but it it started off with this riff and lee dorian's dancing around and that was on like another level again Mm. and i was thinking oh my god this is like i didn't know it was what they call grindcore yeah yeah. that was like it was this riff was at the start but then it just went into this just (laughs) unbelievable drumming and that was like another i was like Wow, it just gets more and more extreme. Mm. You know, I'm going. It's getting heavier and it's getting faster. Wow! So that was it. I was, I was, I was just sucked right in at, um, to the dark side, as I say.
0: I think this is it's interesting to my relationship with death metal, I call it like a, I call it like a horseshoe effect because it looks like you have like a foundational relationship with that that grit and that dirt, and it sort of sm- snowballs from there because I sort of started out with, like, you know, Made in Metallica, AC, DC, and then I sort of jumped to Metalcore with, like, Trivium and Killswitch. So I've gone from, like, normal, sort of, like, rock foundation, gone up to, like, this, this Metalcore thing, which is, like, a very modern, very current thing, and then I found myself going back to the Death Metal, but there's no foundational thing there, and that's why I, I get on with it really well, but I don't have, like, a... a I don't have a starting point, right? I don't Ooh. have... I don't have like the one album which is like completely hooked me in. Beneath the Remains, close, but it's more thrash than it is death, even though there's some sort of like contention around that. Um, and I'm trying to sort of understand it a little bit more and try and get myself on the path where I'm like, okay, more of this, less than that. And I can, I can find my way around that scene a bit more. Yeah. But speaking to the time that it was all coming about, were there any characteristics between labels that were put churning out death metal? So all right, so let me let me rephrase that a little bit more closer to home. So I associate Florida Death Metal and Morrisound with Roadrunner very strongly. And I know it's not always exactly like it's not all exactly in-house. I know Morrisound worked with other bands and other labels, and other Florida death metal bands also went to other labels. But is my presumption correct-ish? the roadrunner and florida death metal have a strong bond
1: oh yeah i don't think there's any doubt i don't think there's any doubt about it um i don't know who would have been the first band that was signed um to roadrunner from from florida um, <laughs> maybe a victory rock maybe yeah yeah
0: Sorry, i've got the whole discography in front of me the entire Roadrunner, every signed artist. So let's jump to 1987 or 1986 and see which one we come to first. So we've got King Diamond Solo. We've got Whiplash, which is obviously like crossover thrash, thrashy. Um, Cyclone, Belgian thrash. Toxic thrash. Infernal Majesty, which is Canadian thrash. Uh, Pestilence is 1988. Where's a victory then? The victory should be Should be 89, I'm sure. Slowly slowly, rot, slowly we days. rot June 14th, 89. But we could set okay, yeah. Pestilence is Dutch,
1: it's more thrash than death, isn't it? Their first album's definitely um thrash bass, but yeah. a- again, I suppose it's it's got that beneath the remains vibe where it's kind of teetering on the edge, isn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah. So okay, we've got Defiance Product of Society in the 89 followed by Sepultura, Beneath the Remains, April 7th, Annihilator, Alice in Hell, April 17th. What a fucking few weeks. Um, obituary, Unbelievable. Yeah, Obituary, Slowly We Rot, June 14th, 1989. I, I think in the run-up there, I've done a run-up from about 1986 up through to eighty nine, And I think chronologically we can safely say that Slowly We Rot was the first. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I, I would say. Now, I <clears throat> I remember vividly travelling to Preston with Paul from Enchantment Singer. And we, it was every Saturday, not every Saturday, maybe every other Saturday when we could afford to mm-hmm. we'd go down there and we'd buy some music. And I'm, I'm guessing that Beneath the Remains and slowly Rock must have come out a fairly similar time. Within a few months, because they're the two albums we bought. They were the two albums we bought, um, and couldn't wait to get them home and played them. And we were just like, "Wow, Obituary was on that another level compared to Beneath the Remains." Because John Tardy's vocals, you know, and even the the imagery on the back of the album where you couldn't see their faces, it was it, it was it was fabulous. So instantly. Those two albums, Solarie Rot and Beneath Remains on Road Racer, that was a label that was that it was ingrained in you in your mind. It was that ingrained, I can even remember, the Stop the Madness little ad- advert they had below the label. You know? Yeah. It,
0: it did they have a PCMR? Sorry, what is it now? A PMRC or PCMR? PMRC. PMRC. Was that the alternative to that? The Stop the Madness one.
1: I don't. I think it was just mainly to do with um, drugs, substance substance yeah. misuse, really, yeah. to stop the madness. I think the logo It was like um, a red circle with a, a broken um, needle. Yeah. So it wasn't so much anything to do with the music. It was a message to, you know, don't take drugs. I spoke to Alan Becker, who was important record
0: distribution. Uh, distribution, who did, you know, if you got a Road Racer vinyl or any kind of record, it went through him uh, through his distribution company. I asked him if it was like if it was was it put on his side or was it the label side, and he was, he couldn't remember. So I, I'm still like the jury's out as to what where that exactly that's come from. Do
1: you know what though? It did it did the job because when I was. The age I would have been then, what 16 17. Um, if they'd have brought the t shirt out with that on it, road racer, and that on it, it, people would have bought it really. Oh, yeah, there's no doubt about it. Me and my friends would have worn it. Um, there's no doubt about it because it was, it was, uh, is it on the back of there? Yeah, it was as iconic as the road racer label. I don't know if you can see really
0: it interesting. Was that just because you're you're like of that sort of mindset, like a, a no a no substance abuse mindset, or was it just that effective in terms of the imagery?
1: Yeah, I, I haven't thought, I certainly wasn't. None of me and my my friends were interested in in drugs. It was it was just music and beer, you know. <laughs> um so it wasn't yeah, it wasn't even that it was it was you read it and you thought, yeah, no, it's, it's, that's a great message to mm. to to put out there. But it was—you just knew it was going to be on a road runner or road racer product, and yeah. it just became an iconic image, you know. So even before you even saw the road runner label, if you saw that on it, you would instantly—you know—it it, was—it was a good message, and it kind of, for me, led me to just believe the, these people are the same as me, you know. They're yeah. about the music, and they're, yeah. They're about like they're about having a a good time, having you know. It, it just felt like you felt a real bond with them, you know. Mm-hmm. And it felt a little bit more personal compared to other labels because they were putting it out and they were saying, you know, in a way that's them, them sort of saying, "We care about you. Listen to our music, but don't be a dick," you know. Yeah. <laughs>
0: That's insane. I've never never even thought of it like that. <laughs> See, this is what this is my issue with this project man. There's like there's a real like personal sort of like there's a, there's a lot of heart to this story. And it comes through little mo- moments such as the one you just described there. But I'm all like, oh, right. It must have been it must have been some sort of corporate entity saying that had to be stamped on there. But I never thought of it like the way you just put it. That's really interesting. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me about. Your perception of Florida, Florida death versus wider spectrum death.
1: So yeah, we were talking earlier. You were talking about the, the the road race from the Florida scene. I, when I sort of look back then, and you had the likes of you know, um, obituary, day aside, malevolent creation, all these bands coming through. It you looked at it and just thought, this is like I have stumbled upon a monster here. An absolute, there's a, you know, Florida. It's like, in my mind, everyone played death metal. Everyone looked like they had long, you know, they looked like Chris Barnes, John Tardy. But I suppose when you, as I'm older and I've kind of been involved in, in a few scenes and, and that, it really, the reality of it, it was probably three or four bars that put the heavy metal bands on, the real heavy bands. Yeah. It was probably a couple of industrial estates somewhere that hired out rooms. And the bands probably used the same rooms. You never know. They might have borrowed each other's gear. So when they talk about a scene, Mm -hmm. it can really be, you know, four or five bands just from one area, and they all know each other. Mm. And this promoter's putting on Nasty Savage with... Morbid Angel, Obituary, and Nocturnus support him, you know? Yeah. So once a label like Road Racer gets one band like Obituary, for example, I I can imagine that the likes of the band members themselves would, oh, you want to check this band out? You want to check that band out? If you like us and you like what we're doing, have a listen to them, Mm. you know? And whether that's true or not, that's how I see it now as an older fella um, and not seeing it all through like rose-tinted glasses. Yeah, Definitely. yeah. So, I would have thought that. I would have thought that's how a lot of it would maybe get put out there. You know. Yeah.
0: Mm. So you think it was? It was less. It was less a defined sound, even though there was like a Link with rock sound. I guess it was less of a defined sound, more of a coincidence, and that's kind of like how. The vocabulary attrition kind of takes place. Like these are the common threads of all these bands. And if you like this, you like this. You like this. Yeah. What's the thing? What's yeah, the yeah. defining? What's the defining characteristic? Oh, they're all these. They're all from Florida. They're all going to I, deep yeah,
1: going absolutely. I don't. When when people talk about like Floridian death metal, for me, it's not so much a sound. It's it's a scene. Mm. Okay, you know, cool. I I I don't think you can compare obituary <clears throat> to malevolent creation. I don't think you can com- c- you can compare malevolent creation to Nocturnus. I think a big part of it and was Morris Sound Studios. Mm-hmm. I think because of this extreme nature of the music they were playing, Morris Sound Studios, Tom Morris and Jim Morris, they they knew and kind of understood what needed to be captured recording-wise to capture the music. And in Scott Burns, they they had a top producer. Mm. And from what sort of little bits I've read over the years, you know, the drums, the drums were a big thing, you know, to get that drum sound. Yes. And Morrisound Sound Studios nailed it. I, I remember when we did our demo, Enchantments demo, and it was in the studio. The guy had never recorded a heavy metal band before. And I remember looking at him, I and he looked he looked like he just his shit's a brick. He was you could see just a terror. How the fuck am I these, you know? <laughs> um, <clears throat> Morristown Studios just they had it, it they had they had the, the environment. Um, and you know, Florida was was developing this scene, and they were in Florida. Mm-hmm. They were there, they had everything right there. And it was that right that people and bands came from all over the world in the end. You know, cancer came over from England over there, pestilence. Yeah. Um, so I think it was the whole Morrisound. You, you can't, you'd, I, I wouldn't define it as a Morrisound sound. It was a Morrisound enabled these bands to, the dreams they had for their music, Morrisound was able to. And Scott was, was able to, to make that a reality. You know,
0: guess if you think about it as well. I think about the inverse. Imagine how many death metal bands never had an infrastructure around them because they never had a sound that sounded good because they didn't have Absolutely. a sound. And there was probably like this. It's probably why they were held in such reverence because the period of time for which Morrisound existed as this thing that took death metal sound seriously and the, this entity that took the drum sound seriously, it existed on in isolation for too long. And Not in too long in a bad way, but as in, like, normally market forces kick in, and within a year, 18 months of this thing called Morisand, which does death metal really well, existing, you'd have thought someone else somewhere in the country would have gone, okay, we need to take into the, take part of some of that market. Yeah. But it seemed like it just didn't happen. Cause I think, like, their run of, like, most death metal albums taking, um, um, being recorded at Morrisound must have been about eight years, something like, oh, well yeah. into the mid-90s. And sometimes beyond, like I know, Obituary was there for a long
1: ass time. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And you know, you, it was um, whether they were doing it that well that other people just thought we can't do it the same. We we can't. I mean, possibly, you yeah. Know, on the flip side, you had the you had Sunlight Studios in in Sweden. Mm. Um, Thomas Skogsberg, and you know they obviously the legendary sort of HM2 boss pedal, that buzzsaw sound now. And, and and that was that was like the sort of equivalent in Europe, you know, but mm-hmm. people didn't travel there from other countries because that was all about a sound. You know, Sunlight Studios was about the HM2 thick Fuzzy, you know, dirty, horrible sound. Yeah. <laughs> so if you didn't play music that you wanted to sound filthy and dirty and horrible, there was no point in you going. But Morrisound, Morrisound mm. recorded sabotage, a power metal band, and and you know, Crimson thrash glory. bands and death metal bands, and yeah. you know, in the end the Trans Siberian Orchestra, and you know, it it was about. It was about making bands comfortable. It was about, you know, helping bands realise what they wanted more mm. than a sound, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's probably very hard to emulate that, really. You know, you, the UK had good producers, Colin Richardson. Um, you know, he was a big name. Um, I mm. suppose like Andy Sneep is now, but people don't sort of congregate to one studio like they did with Morrisound. Yeah. Everybody, yeah. everyone everyone who was a band wanted to go to It didn't, didn't matter what you sounded like. They wanted to go there because Scott Burns was there and it was, you, you knew if your album said, you know, recorded at Morrisound, mm. you were probably going to get another 10,000 teenagers buying it because people were like, it's Morrisound, you know?
0: You think that same logic extends to Scott? You think it is because the part and part. You think or do you think he brought something new to the table? Because I think that you could say the same thing, which is he he and you know in, in the sense that Morrison enabled the artist and made them comfortable and tried to optimize them in every single way. Scott was just the personification of that objective. Mm. I think unless there's may and now it's pure conjecture. It could also be that he's also just a metalhead. So the signal path between. Yeah, producer doing producer things to it needs to sound good is shorter than it would have been with someone else. Yeah, it's the same with Tom and Jim, I guess.
1: Um, yeah, I think maybe. I think that's it. I think Scott was a metalhead. Yeah. You know, he, he he knew he knew what the bands wanted. Yeah,
0: and that um, matters if you if you're paying a thousand dollars a day in the studio, it matters that the conversation between the band and the producer they get onto the safe page, same page in 150 words less. Than they would with anyone else. That shit yeah. kind of matters in in you know purely economics and efficacy level.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's like I say. I think if you if you're a band and you're going in there, and I, I I've never met Scott Burns. I've never spoken to him. I don't know the guy, but I just whatever footage I've seen of him talking and the way he is with him, you can just see that the bands are so comfortable mm. around him, and he's comfortable with them. You know. And when you're when you're a musician and a recorded musician, don't matter how good you are, the minute they press record, your arse falls out. It does, you're nervous, you're wanting to do the best you can, you're not wanting to let anyone else down. When you've got someone who's in charge who's almost feels like a friend, don't worry about it. You no, listen, we'll do it this, you know. Mm. I think that is worth its weight in gold. Mm. Um and you've got to remember a lot of these bands, they, they, were, they were only young lads, you know, the likes of a and sepulchre and pestilence, they're all in the late teens, yeah. early twenties, you know. Yeah. And especially bands like say Pestilence, who've come all the way from Holland over there in a foreign country. Yeah. To be made to well, that that's that's always the feeling I got from from Scott Burns and Morris Sound that he was just um he was a metal lead He was like one of your mates, and 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 that's for me. That's probably why so many unbelievably good albums have been made there.
0: Yeah, yeah. The stars just aligning. Okay, let's, let's yeah. talk about some of the macro stuff then. So, death metal in general. What do you regard as the milestone albums in this in this genre? What are the big sort of beats that the 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 bands are sort of taking? What what are they like the yeah, so but we're saying slow it, we rock. We can call that... I don't know what we'd regard as the first
1: sort of death metal record. Well, the, as well, there's the big argument there, isn't there, between um, Possessed mm. um, with, obviously, the track Death Metal and Death, Scream, bloody, bloody Gore. Yeah. Um. But, and it's a tough one, and, and, and people watching this may think, you know, whatever, but I think both those albums have got elements of thrash bordering into death metal. I don't really, I don't really, I don't really care what the first death metal mm. album is. Really, for me, um Ultras of Madness is, is a massive, massive album mm-hmm. because not only did it have the riffs and, and the heaviness it had the evilness it had the darkness you know more you, the lyrics were they're not so much satanic but the the the, the leaning to that way to the occult you know yeah. things like that mm. <clears throat> that that was just a huge huge album also Severed Survival by Autopsy Um. That was like bone-crunchingly heavy. It was, <laughs> it was so opposite to the Morrisound bands. This was like uh, that was like someone had recorded it in the garage. You mm. know, they just went fuck it. Let's have a few beers this afternoon, and let's just record something. So that kind of. Took death metal, death metal to another level for me, like a filthy level. Now it gives I what people
0: that, regard as like a, a pretty one horse town of a music genre, and gives it more dynamics and gives absolutely. it
1: absolutely different. Yeah. yeah, and and I think a lot of the the death metal bands that are around now, um, you've got your tech death. It's a, it was a lot simpler then. It was death metal. That was it. Now you've got tech death metal, you've got black death metal, you've got death doom metal, you've got so many different genres, but um you know it, Chris Reifert drumming on Scream Bloody Gore and then and then forms his own band Seven Survival, um Autopsy Seven Survival records that, you know, it, he's a just a massive, massive figure in death metal. I know I know Evil Chuck. Was a legend, don't be wrong. But Chris Reifert, when you think about those two, mm. for, for me, Chuck and Chris probably were the the, the pioneers of, of of death metal. Right. You know, as much as people talk about Possessed and, and death metal, and I know people will will say that, and there are some other bands out there that were probably do, doing gigs and playing. But were mm. never picked up by record labels. This is like a an argument that could go on forever and ever yeah, and sure. ever. I can only give it from, from my point of view and, and what I was exposed to at the time. Um, but I've always felt like you know Chuck and Chris um, they were they they were pushing they were pushing thrash into something different. You yeah, know, they, they were they were incorporating you know that filthier sort of punky edge to it. Not not so much with Death, but Autopsy were definitely sort of um, like a garage band, you know, yeah. and, and I think that's a massive album for a lot of bands these days. I think if there's numerous, numerous bands out there that have got this real swampy, filthy, murky mm-hmm. sound. Um, and for me, that kind of all stems from, from Autopsy.
0: I'm poised perfectly to like just absorb all this. I like <laughs> I've, I know all these names, but I don't know the records intimately. So it's really good that on like the the, the on on my map of death metal, you're sort of like now to throw darts at like where things sit, and that's really useful to me. Just as a, as a music fan, not even like from a rotary context, it's just like good to know. Excellent. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about. Um, well, first of all, is there anything else? Any other, I'm I'm really taken by like your um, Stop the Madness observation. I think that's really awesome. That's a rabbit hole that's worth jumping down maybe another time, maybe when I I get hit the research books again. Um, Are there any other observations um, about Roadrunner or Roadracer in the death metal context you'd want to illuminate me of?
1: I think I was going to talk about this this release, and this was whether Roadrunner knew what they were doing with this release this but, is, that's the
0: entire impetus of this entire project did they know <laughs>
1: oh no way so I that's, on that's amazing yeah this was this was massive this was to my friends and me and since making videos on my channel um, and talking to other people this was just huge this was a massive massive gateway into music that we hadn't heard before and i mean the most of it is thrash metal you've got flotsam and jetsam dri toxic acrofet, slayer sacred rag um but pestilence they've got that pestilence song on their commandments and and when i uh, that was an, another moment when i heard that i was like oh It was, it it felt heavier. It was, it was a moment where I was like, they, this roadrunner, they're not all about thrash, are they? They're, they're like, they don't mind a little bit of crossover. They don't mind a little bit of sort of power metal there. They don't mind a bit of satanic thrash and, Mm. you know, SOD with a sort of, you know, they open themselves up. And I don't know if it's, it's, I'm sure whoever put this compilation together was just looking at the bands they had on the, on the label at the time, but there was no way a kid from Blackpool was ever going to discover these bands without this album, you know? Yeah. And at the time when they sold it, I'm sure it had like a sticker on it that said, um, you know, special priced album, don't pay more than 3 99 for it. So when you saw that in the shop and it was that price, it, you were going to buy it. We all had it. It was massive, absolutely massive.
0: They've got this thing about promos, like promotional compilations and things like that. It's almost worth it's almost worth like its own complete angle. One yeah. of the things in the 90s is, is uh, breaking barriers. Um uh, it's literally like it's literally like volume one breaking barriers, and it would have like just four tracks of like just a sampler of each of the you know bands like that. Um there was one in the fact I spoke to um Uwe Lurch, Uve Lurch was like one of the first German PR people for the label. And he was responsible for putting together two compilations, um, the Teutonic the Teutonic Thrash Invasion. Um, and it's a similar thing. It's like Stars on Thrash, but with all like the German Thrash stuff. Yeah. And so you might be onto something when when we asked, do they, do they know what they're doing? Probably, yes, because the marketing stuff is like, for is there's a strong... Just strong agenda to make sure that their fingerprints are all over the place. And I, yeah. I, I had a conversation with Stefan Custer, who was there in form, former international marketing president. We got talking about licensing because Roadrunner is like a licensing body almost first and foremost before it's a before it's like an, an artist development um, body. Especially in the early eighties, like they would literally, well, let's let's even let's just go through the numbers. Metal Blade distributed in Europe through Roadrunner megaforce distributed in in, um through musical nations then through roadrunner so there was like a a weird sort of triad thing going there and i was like what's the point because like surely a licensed album you're not going to make as much on it unless it was a direct signing is it really only worth doing it if you're doing it in volumes as as to which roadrunner did and then during this conversation it just sort of dawned on me that it was no of course not because when the Berlin Wall comes down and kids are hungry for hardcore, when they find animosity by corrosion Conformity, they're going to want to see, you want Roadrunner to be on there, not Metal Blade or Death Records, which was their imprint. And it was like a huge, it was a huge thing. So I think in that similar kind of frame of mind as to how can we get our fingerprints in every shop? I think this might have been like a similar kind of deal. Yeah. It's it's good to, I know a lot of people (laughs) who would be very happy to learn that that was formative for you.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's um, we were talking about cerebral fix before, weren't we? Um, yeah. And you know, a, a band from Birmingham signing to to Road Racer, um, and Zentrix. Yeah. Um, a band from Leyland, just down the road from yeah. um, from me. The third this was the first gig I ever went to to see Zentrix at the Tash in Blackpool and signed to Road Racer. You know, it was it was they were just Road Racer was just a huge label, you know, mm. it was so big. So to think you've got two bands from the UK, Cerebral Fix and Zentrix, signed to them. Um and you know, for, for me and my friends, and I'm sure it was the same for people in Birmingham, you, because Road Racer took a chance on these bands and put them out, that in itself was when well, people would have bought it. Just, you know, Road Racer, an American label, a huge label, you know, yeah. at the time, probably the biggest label in, in thrash metal, mm-hmm. um, besides Metal Blade. Um, but, you know, Road Racer always seemed a bit more prolific with the releases. And like you said, he had a, uh, a a thing going on with Metal Blade as well, didn't he? So yes, they were kind of affiliated. Um, but you know what? Like sort of digressing a little bit for, for me growing up as a, a wannabe guitarist and seeing a band from Leyland a little town outside of Preston mm. um, signing to Road Racer that made me hungry and that made me, my ambitions feel like more of a reality, you know. Look, yeah, uh, yeah. If a, if a band like Zentrix are signing to Road Racer, what 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 could we do? You know, we, we've got the potential to maybe sign one of these big labels. I but you I... felt you felt like um like it felt personal. Like i said it before, you know, mm. Road Race, it felt it, it felt personal to you. You know? Yeah. It wasn't just about signing the biggest bands out there. They were signing bands with genuine talent, no matter where in the world they came from—Brazil, Birmingham, Leyland, you know. (laughs) Um, Yeah, fabulous, just brilliant.
0: You know the distinction between road racer and road runner.
1: No, do you know what? It's it's one thing I've I've never, I've often thought it, and you know, I've I've never really sort of followed it up. But I, I always just presumed it was. Roadrunner's um thrash metal sort of side Road racer. It's, it's interesting. So you're talking to the right guy for this.
0: So yeah, I yeah. actually it's <laughs> on the full arc because the thing that's well recorded is is why there's a distinction, but it's not well recorded as to why it reconciled to Roadrunner. Because it, as you get into the late the mid 90s everything becomes Roadrunner and Road racer dies a death. So what happened was in 1980 so for, it's it's a Dutch label, it's not American. It all started in Amsterdam. Um and they opened a U.S. office, which is where like most of the a r functionality comes from. But when they opened it up, Warner Brothers is on the phone saying, hang about, we've got a flightless bird that's chased by a coyote on occasion. That's called Roadrunner. You can't have a trademark in the United uh, States. Okay. So, obviously, Case Vessels, who runs the label, just goes, oh, shit, okay. I guess it's going to be Road Racer in the U.S. and Roadrunner everywhere else.
1: Oh, uh, okay. So that's how that happened. Um, that makes was, perfect sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: So if 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 you've got a Road Racer vinyl, I'm wondering. I'm trying to think now. Was Road Racer a thing in the UK or is it just the US territory? So the one you've got in your hand there was that a parallel import from the United States? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I'll th- I'll try mm. and figure that one out.
1: Yeah, I mean this Centric's one for example. It says it says Road Racer Records, but then it says it's manufactured in the Netherlands. I wonder who's back. doing that then.
0: Okay, have you have you got the the double the RC number on it? It's shard existence, wasn't it that you got?
1: Yeah, it's this is RO nine
0: triple four one. RO nine
1: triple four one US, yeah. Right. So this was the US.
0: Triple, yeah, yeah. RO nine triple four two was Road Racer, and that's UK and Europe. Oh, okay. R O 9441 One is the United States. Still road racer. Well, now I'm looking at it now. Road racer records, UK and Europe. So I guess there were arms of it dealing with. it. Yeah, um, yeah but the, it, but to speak to your your theory on road racer being the thrash bit, there was in the late '80s there was a a deal made because I mentioned IRD before who were distributing any any kind of underground mail. It's a it's a fascinating story, Alan Beckers, because like if you were if you were an independent metal label in the 80s you typically and you dealt in the us you were typically going through ird they were the guys that just some, somehow they knew how to handle the product so early 90s roadrunner does a deal with i think it's rca one of the majors and it's a distribution deal through rca okay. and what happened there was there was a split arrangement so with your flagship artists like say Sepultura or King Diamond, something that had a lot more headway, that would go through the major distribution um, model. And that would go out as Road Runner. And then anything that was underground and perhaps was more deserving of an independent touch and was maybe an underground record by design, that would be RC records. Ah, uh, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's where you probably find more of your death and thrash of that era. Yeah. Doing RC I don't know that. Yeah,
1: about- there's a prime example, Malevolent Creation, The Ten Commandments. I don't know if you can see it there. RC. Yeah. Just RC in the corner, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: There's so many, like, different weird threads and audit trails. This yeah.
1: Stuff. Yeah, and I've never, I've seen that loads of times, but never really thought about that either. But that, yeah. again, makes perfect sense. I was speaking to, um, uh, to
0: Christian from Ezentrix, Um and he said he saw Shattered existence at a market. Um, literally like three or four weeks prior to our conversation. And <laughs> the fucker made him sign it and then said you can have it for 15 quid off if you want. <laughs> <laughs> really?
1: Yeah. It's worth um, yeah. I mean, mine's actually signed by all the bands. I don't know if you could see that, but oh, it, actually, oh, yeah. it is actually it is actually signed by the band because this this made it all the way to the gig. Wow. Um, but weirdly enough, with Zentrix, as it happens now, one of my best mates, his wife, is best mates with Dennis, the drummer's wife. Mm. And he plays He plays in another band now, like um, just doing the sort of pub scenes and a covers band, you know, helps him, I suppose it helps him get by. Yeah. Because Zentrix were nowhere to be seen for a, a long time, were they, you know?
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah. But they're back now. They're busy. Yeah. So that's yeah good.
1: Their new albums are a cracker as well, an absolute cracker.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I've got, wish nothing but the best for Stan and the boys.
1: It's, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting when you were saying it, it does feel like a personal thing. And, and it's interesting. I think, in, in terms of like the, everyone I've talked to so far, I think you're the first like active consumer at the time in this right. territory, the UK, perhaps. Yeah. I think maybe, I don't know. I don't know. Um, possibly so it's really interesting to get that perspective because my analogy is always i'm a massive maiden fan i'm such a maiden fan that i now consider like whenever maiden are playing i'm like oh it feels like almost a pub gig it obviously isn't but it's so frequent and everyone knows exactly what to expect there's a localization effect it has on me and it's you obviously arrived at a similar conclusion with with zentrix and 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 roadrunner and it turns like from a different perspective it felt like even though roadrunner is this behemoth it still was an indie it was still a yeah. metal indie, which is like, yeah, yeah. in terms of like wider industry context, it's quite a small thing,
1: but it felt big and it felt personal. You didn't know that. You know, now now looking back on the way labels are, I know that, you know, some of the labels now that you look at and you look at them and you think, that's a big label in the underground scene. Mm. It's basically a fella in a warehouse packing them all himself. Yeah. road racer at that time could have been like that but when Mm. i was 16 17 18 and i'm seeing road racer and metal blade and earache and nuclear blast and central media for me they were like they had head offices they had staff everywhere people who would fly over to see you know you saw it as something different Mm. you know so when when it did have that more personal thing you felt you felt kind of Oh wow, you know, these are the big boys and and, and they're doing that kind of thing. When really they weren't, you know. Yeah. Like you say, they were they were an underground, independent, small label. Yeah. But they would they were just banging out shit up music relentlessly, mm-hmm. you know.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So great times.
0: Hit me up with your most prized death metal possession in this collection. Let's let's see the top the top tier.
1: Well, I've got a, I've got a couple here, and I'm going to show you. And I'm, this one you're going to like, because this is to do with Road Racer. Sweet. And this is um, the band cover yeah. <laughs> from Ghostbusters by Zentrix. Um, awesome. On the Road Racer label. Wow.
0: That's, that's so cool. Yeah.
1: There was so obviously it, it got banned because of the image on it, and they had to change it to so the sort of sort um, of cartoony Ghostbuster character. Mm-hmm. But again, another show they were playing, um, and they had a load of these. They brought them in the van with them, mm-hmm. so they were just they were just throwing them out to the crowd at the gig, <laughs> um, and because and they said the, the record company printed them up, we've got a shitload of these. We can't do anything with them; they're all for you. And um, I, I'd bought um, the other version with the, the non-band cover on. God yeah. knows what's happened to that, because as soon as I got this one, it was going in there. But that's, that's a prize possession, because that's about as limited edition as it gets, isn't it?
0: Yeah, totally.
1: You know? But Wonderful. one of my other favourites, one of my other favourites, and one of my all-time favourite albums is... Um, Autopsy's "Mental Funeral," their second album, um, and this is this is an OG press mm-hmm. um, from '91. And oh. like I say, not only is it just full of great music, but oh, that's gorgeous! And nice, it just—I <laughs> mean, you know—if you go back to '91, colored vinyl wasn't. big thing you know it Mm. was 95% of records that were coming out were black vinyl yeah um picture discs there was a few picture discs here and there but they were renowned for sounding shite you know so yeah when this came out and it was green green vinyl it was it was a big thing and and it's weirdly weird because it's kind of followed me in my life that a lot of people say oh, I prefer black. I, I'm, I'm old fashioned. Prefer black, mm. but I'm a sucker for coloured variant. Me, mm. and I think it's because because I was buying vinyl originally, everything was black. So yeah. when you could get a coloured variant, it was a bit of a, a novelty. Special. Yeah, yeah. And I and I kind of I still see it in me in me head as a bit of a novelty, you know. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't. But, but I'm, I'm a real sucker for it. But.
0: I got an, um, Did- Evile's new album in a, in a sort of like a lovely blue.
1: Oh right, okay, yeah, yeah. Do you know I've not heard that album? That's um, I, I'm a big fan of Evile. Yeah, it's, the,
0: not heard. it's it's an it's an interesting arc that band's taken, and you know what? I used I had a when when the album was coming out, and I was having more conversations with with people around about thrash and things like that, and they'd always come up, and I had a lot of stock phrases from. Now I can't remember any of them it does slay it's probably one of my favorite ones maybe not even maybe maybe, maybe better than into the grave i don't know really? i don't know it's 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 a t- it's a different sound cuz all singing and yeah i mean I, totally competent at doing that
1: yeah and and I, do you know i think when Zentrix, when they bring it out bury the pain and mm. you know chris wasn't in the band anymore um and they were going to go down the route of a new vocalist and i was thinking oh you know, uh, I'm I'm the biggest Centric's fan in the, um, in the world, honestly. I love mm. them, just great band. So, I was nervous. Oh, Bury the Pain's an absolute ripper. It's yeah. a, it's just a great album. Mm. So, I think it'll be the same for Evil. I've only not got it because, um, being mm. a collector, I I, I don't like painful wax for anything. <laughs> So I tend to I tend to sometimes wait for the prices to come down a little bit and then I'll grab it. You know,
0: <laughs> yeah, no fair news, but it's, it's I think I like when all was going to be the singer. It's like all right, this feels more natural than it would have been if it was. We're going to go out and get another singer. But the thing yeah. about UK thrash metal is, it's such a weirdly like it's such a British thing to support the underdog, isn't it? And British yeah. thrash in of itself is always like a weird underdog when you think about the other underground genres. So. It, it's almost irrelevant sometimes. I think it depends what kind of what kind of relationship you have with the band and what you have with the genre. Sometimes you just want to fucking give it to them anyway. Don't like, give yeah. them everything you got, regardless of what <laughs> who the singer is. It's like, fuck it, if you're still going, I'm still coming. You know, yeah, I think, yeah. I think that's the deal with me. But, yeah, yeah. Um, no, it does slay. It, it sounds, it's the best sounding one. I can definitely say that. It's definitely the best sounding one. Yeah, um, yeah.
1: But yeah, bang it on. It's a good laugh. And the uh, the drummer, he's he's a fucking machine, isn't he? That ben, guy. Yeah. Oh. I no. mean Ollie's a great guitarist, but um yeah, I, I've always been a big fan of theirs. And it, like I say, it was that Matt leaving, you're a bit like oh. yeah. you know, but I've only I've heard only good things about the new album. So um and I'm, I'm thinking they're playing in Manchester maybe later this year or early next year. So February. Is it? yeah i'll have to get myself I'll have to get myself to that yeah definitely
0: it's all did he managed to place himself as like quite the prolific kind of shredder he was like when guitar porn was like more of a prominent thing in the in the regular press he was like quite in the forefront which is yeah. totally justified but ben should also be in the drum porn category of that same thing absolutely
1: absolutely yeah yeah but it's he's it's the drummer thing in that you know <laughs> they just don't get. They just don't get the recognition as they like. It's like defenders and strikers. And everyone's interested in the strikers, never the defenders. Yeah, it's the, same, it's the same thing with drummers and lead guitarists.
0: Yeah, yeah, same principle. Okay, <laughs> let's ring this one out then. If, I don't know if you had time to prep for this one Carl, I did drop it on you earlier today. Yeah. Top five records put out by Roadrunner, no particular order.
1: Yeah, it's a, oh, what a tough question that is, I, I have to say. <laughs> um I have got actually I've got eight of you. So that's fine. I'm gonna show you all eight because these are all just just blinders. And I've well, I've already shown you one, I've already shown you Saturn's existence. Mm-hmm. So I can take that one out. But uh, do you know what? Let's do let's do the five, let's do it.
0: You can do two honourable mentions if you wanted to. Okay,
1: honourable mention. Cerebral oh, yes. fix, yes. Cerebral <laughs> fix. I absolutely loved that album. Just, just amazing. Mm-hmm. Another honourable mentions. Malevolent creations. Ten commandments. Mm-hmm.
0: Can't cover um, I, fucking, but, I love like, these death metal covers, man. They're just.
1: Fucking oh yeah, the, the greatest. Yeah, the greatest covers. Um, <laughs> like I say, whether these are the best. Five albums that Road Race have ever put out is always going to be to people's own personal taste, but these five for me are, are big albums on a personal level for me. Atrophy, socialized hate, mm-hmm. aggressive, fast, in your face, furious thrash metal. It's
0: kind of it's not crossover, but it does sometimes have a party vibe to it.
1: I don't know, I don't know why it, it does. I mean, having a song like Beer Bong.
0: Well, yeah, it doesn't take you know, itself too seriously, does it? It's no, like, it doesn't. I really it, like about
1: atrophy. Yeah, yeah, superb band, superb. Deicide's debut—that was um, just a real, a real eye opener. That was, you know, mixing that furious energy with with furious vocals and, mm. the, you know. Anyone in a band who brands themselves with an inverted cross on the forehead <laughs> to prove themselves—you've got to—you've got to pay pay attention to that, haven't you? Whether yeah. you think it's stupid or not, that you know that for me, it it put it put Glenn Benton on another level. You know, mm-hmm. it was yeah. like he's. He's proper committed. He is. He's <laughs> the real
0: fucking deal.
1: It's <laughs> never mind getting a tattoo on your neck or on your knuckles, whatever. He's just branded an inverted cross on his fucking forehead, you know? <laughs> but but this is, um, it's a brilliant album. You know, Dead by Dawn. It was like death metal with, with not sing-along parts, but parts that you, you knew were coming and you were waiting for them, you know? And, and yeah, just, just fabulous. Luminous of God's creation. Beneath the remains by Sepultura. Nice. Um, that just a massive album, um, and I think it was a massive album because it was like we, were, we we touched on before about the fact that it it was thrash, but it was bridging that gap onto death metal. Especially if if you if you'd not heard death metal, that was as furious and heavy as it got for thrash. And maybe because of Max's vocal style as well, you know.
0: There's one thing Joe McIver said which resonated with me, which was that run of albums up until Chaos AD. It's like, it just cemented Sepultura. as like, if you want an alternative to Big Four Thrash, that's where you go. It's a completely different dynamic to what you're used to. If you're sick of Bay Area, go to Brazil.
1: Yeah. And, you know, Inner Self, that... It was... You know, it didn't get ever. The minute you heard that, me being that sort of riff worshipper, I was just like, oh, I don't even need to hear any more. Just that <laughs> opening riff, you know, with the sort of rolling drums. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Um, oh, wow. Fourth on my list, Pestilence. Again, these are no order. Um, Martin Van Drunen's vocal style is mm-hmm. just... I know it puts some people off because of its, its sort of tortured, anguished sound, but that's what I love about it. Yeah. He sounds he sounds like he's in pain. He, he sounds like he's giving it everything, mm-hmm. you know, and that's what I want in my death metal. I want to sound like a band. He's putting everything into it, you yeah. know. And finally, cause yeah. of death by obituary. Yeah. Now, you your um, you know you you know what you're talking about with Road Racer. Mm-hmm. Do you know the story of these two covers?
0: I do. Sabatier initially wanted the cover, um, wanted the cause of death cover, and this was snatched away at the last minute because they're all Michael Whelan images, aren't they?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, if you if you if you take away the, the cause of death. You know the fact that beneath the remains—I mean, that is that is a perfect cover, really. If you think mm-hmm. about beneath the remains, it looks spot on, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And from from what my memory serves me right, is it was um, it was the management of obituary. I believe the, the artwork was in Road Racers headquarters, and the yeah. management of obituary saw it, and were like, "We're having that." big time that's that's like that's perfect so i I think it was just they snaffled it from under sepultura's um, noses but as it turns out that's an iconic album cover if ever i saw one
0: completely yeah it's as soon as you start like look a little bit closer and realize what's going on on that skull
1: and there's oh
0: shit there's levels to this
1: yeah fabulous album um well this uh this i believe was um painted it was part of a for a book a hp lovecraft book mm-hmm. and the the part the part that extends on here because it's a long picture mm-hmm. was used by demolition hammer on their second oh, album no. as if i didn't know that yeah epidemic of violence so if you ever see the full image it carries on like here yeah wow um, and yeah, epidemic of violence by Demolition Hammer, their second album. That's that's the rest of that image. Awesome. Which was wow. obviously already owned. Um, I would have thought by a Road Racer, but you know, mm. I think Demolition Hammer were on Century Media at the time. So mm.
0: who knows? I might have to look into that. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah.
1: Have I? Um, let me just see if I've got it.
0: Have got I it. Have it. Oh shit. So mm-hmm. I
1: don't think it's quite in in keeping with the size, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's something like that. The whole image.
0: Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. That's that's an awesome wow. album as well. Yeah.
1: I've learned so much. Thanks for doing this, man. This has been like no problem. It's is- my pleasure, my absolute pleasure. I'm just, um, I'm always up for talking about music. You know, it is. Um, it's a big passion of my life and it always has been whether it be listening to it playing it writing it whatever so um, to talk about it and share any of my stories with people I love doing that and and if there's anything more that you want and you want to send me an email or